Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. I hope you've had a great start to your week. On today's episode of Supply Chain Now, we're going to be recognizing National Truck Driver Appreciation Week 2022 by sharing an exceptional interview that Greg White and I conducted with a professional truck driver about a year ago. So stay tuned for that in just a minute. But before we share that conversation, I wanted to touch on a few other items with you, our listeners and global family. First, on behalf of the entire Supply Chain Now team, we all mourn the passing of the iconic leader, Queen Elizabeth II. For over 70 years, weathering some of the most challenging times in modern human history, Queen Elizabeth was admired globally for many attributes, including her dignity, grace, steady leadership, and passion for helping others. Our family's prayers and best wishes are with our British friends and all others across the Commonwealth that are mourning this tremendous loss, too. Secondly, as you know, yesterday was a solemn date for all of us, especially Americans everywhere, as it was September 11th. Many of you probably recall exactly where you were on that tragic morning some 21 years ago, and you'll remember that moment for the rest of your lives, perhaps like John F. Kennedy's assassination or the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Some of our listeners may not be old enough to have had experience that awful day in person. Back on September 11, 2001, I was serving on active duty in the United States Air Force, and I was at McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita, Kansas that morning, huddled with my colleagues, watching the events unfold. I tell you, looking back, I felt a painful sense of helplessness and an utter lack of an ability to fix things and protect our fellow citizens right there in the moment. Looking back, that feeling was so profound and palpable, and it just sat there on my chest. And then, of course, the anger set in, a slow, burning anger, which I've thankfully felt only a handful of times in my entire life. There's so much for all of us, probably, to reflect on and unpack from that day of loss for thousands of Americans. And then the decades that followed, which would also see more service, selflessness, honor, and sacrifice from so many others. A couple of thoughts, though. First, for any of our listeners that suffered a tremendous loss tied to September 11th, we continue to mourn with you and will never forget what transpired then and ever since. For those listeners that have served our country on that day or since, in the military, or as a first responder, may I please thank you on behalf of our entire Supply Chain Now family. Finally, out of tremendous tragedy, you can often find some sort of silver lining. When I look back at the aftermath of 9-11, I recall a nation, this nation, largely united, regardless of political party or walk of life. For all that we owe to those that we lost then and since, I think finding a way to more unity, understanding, and love for our neighbors 
Well, I'd put that near the top of that list. And we've got a long way to go to get there. But that truth should not deter us from leaning into the challenge. As President John F. Kennedy shared back on September 12, 1962, when speaking to other immense challenges of the time, quote, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one that we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. End quote. Let's all commit ourselves to serving as peacemakers and bridge builders. There is so much work to be done. Hey, thank you for allowing me to share a few thoughts today and reflect a bit on the front end of this episode. And now I'm proud to share the following conversation that took place about a year ago in the summer of 2021. One of the four or five truck drivers I believe we've interviewed over the last year. Uh, in this one, Greg White and I interviewed an award-winning professional truck driver, April Coolidge, on a variety of topics, including what more folks need to know about the truck driver experience. We touch on what the days and weeks and months are like when you're driving and you're away from your family. And April might just let us know where the worst drivers in all of the U.S. can be found. And hey, it might just be close to home here with our Supply Chain Now family. But hey, let's celebrate all of these drivers are certainly the backbone of global supply chain. And while we should celebrate them all year, please know that this year, National Truck Driver Appreciation Week officially runs September 11th through the 17th. So let's all find a way to recognize the entire truck driver community for all they do. And on that note, we hope that you will enjoy the following conversation. We're really, if you can't tell, we're excited about today's special guest here. Uh, on the heels of an interview with CNBC and, and, and several other outlets, we've got our uh, our guest here with us today on Supply Chain Now, yeah. April Coolidge, a professional truck driver with Walmart, as we mentioned, and one of the exceptional supply chain professionals that's helped us continue to move forward throughout this, this tough pandemic time. So let's bring on April Coolidge. Hey, hey, good afternoon, April Coolidge. How are you? How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. On that note, April, before we get to the hard-hitting expertise and some of those experiences, let's get to know you a little bit better. So for starters, you gotta got to tell us, where did you grow up? I grew up in Billings, Montana. So I'm a Montana girl. I grew up riding horses, skiing, you know, all the outdoor stuff. So it was it was a great childhood, a great life in Montana. Oh, Greg, she paints such a, a wonderful picture there. So let's um, kind of switch gears. Uh, so your father. So mm-hmm. from what we, we piece about uh, doing our homework about your career, uh, prior to being a, a truck driving professional, you were very successful in real estate. But your father had a big impression and I think helped get you into trucking where you know, you've been moving things, making it happen for about 10 years now. Is that right? It is, Scott. Yes. My dad has been a role model for me my entire life. But in, you know, when I was in real estate in 2008, when the market crashed, you know, I just couldn't sell a house to save my life. There was nothing happening whatsoever. So I had to think about what I wanted to do with my future. So I approached my dad and I said, dad, I want to do what you're doing. And he said, what's that? I said, I want to go to truck driving school. I want to drive a big truck. And to be honest with you, Scott, he didn't take me seriously. He just kind of laughed me off for a while because 
I just don't think that he envisioned his baby girl, you know, out here right. in this big trucking world. But, you know, I was just persistent and, you know, I just kept bringing it up to him. So, you know, after a while, he really did see that, that I was serious about it. And he says, well, we're going to send you to truck driving school. So that's what I did. I went to truck driving school. I love it. Okay, before I turn it over to Greg here, uh, so your father, is he still driving? How long did, did he drive? What, what? Tell us a little more about him. He drove, oh gosh, uh, I don't a know how time. many years that he drove, a long time, but he retired with 4.2 million safe miles under his belt. Wow. So I had some big shoes to fill when I got into trucking. Did he um, have his own company or did he drive for someone else? Or He drove... It, uh, so for people out there, they might remember a company called Consolidated Freightways. Oh, yeah, of course. So he started off at Consolidated Freightways in Montana, and then they closed the hub that he drove out of in Billings. So he had to you know, pick some places where he could be transferred. So he picked Charlotte, North Carolina, so that you know he didn't have to drive and deal with you know, the winter. Winter the weather. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so being such a close family... You know, I sold my house in Montana. I had their uh, one and only grandchild, which they weren't going to leave that behind. So <laughs> we just all came together and migrated to Charlotte. Wow! Back in 1995. That is, uh, and, and there's, I'm sure there's so many more stories there. We'll have to have you back to talk sports, Hollywood, and uh, some of those 4.2 million safely driven miles. It's got a great story. So, Greg, where are we going next? With yeah. Asia? So you've been driving since when? I went to truck driving school at the end of 2012. Okay. I, I chose a company right out of truck driving. So I, I researched all the driving co companies out there and, and I chose to affiliate myself at that time with a company based out of Arkansas is uh, USA truck. Mm -hmm. Had a wonderful driving career with them. They were just such a wonderful company to drive for, but I knew upon graduating truck driving school that I always wanted to be a Walmart driver. That was just my goal in my driving career is that someday I wanted to wear that white shirt, drive that big Walmart truck and, and be a Walmart driver. So I worked very, very hard to protect my driving career and, you know, my standings in uh, the trucking community, which opened a lot of doors for me. I got to tell you, Greg, in April, and in April, I may have taken taken a page out of your book. The only tractor trailer toy I had as a kid was a Walmart cab over, and it was a big, uh, is a gorgeous, shiny white truck. And that thing, I don't know if I got quite got four point two million miles <laughs> driven, but it was close. I think the wheels were falling off that thing when we were done growing up. But it's really it's such a small world. You see a ton of Walmart vehicles on the roads. You're giving away your age by talking about cab overs, Scott, which <laughs> sorry, virtually sorry. don't exist anymore, right? Yeah. And they sure don't produce them anymore. But I remember those, the big flat front trucks as a kid. Well, so interesting, and that's pretty. That's a pretty clear career direction. So you've landed at Walmart. I'm curious. You said you said off screen 2018, right? 2018, the end of October 2018 is when I joined the Walmart transportation team. So I don't know that ever, I don't know that everyone or maybe even anyone knows what the day, a day in the life of a driver or a week is like. Can you share that with us? At least your point of view of, you know, what driving is like over the course of a day or a week? Absolutely, Craig. My week, I drive 
uh, I get the luxury of being at Walmart to be home two days a week. So wow. I, I'm out on the road five days a week and I'm home two days a week. So I go to work. I am what they call my schedule is a Saturday out, which my work week begins on Saturday and it ends. I get home uh, Wednesday evening. So on Saturday, I'll usually get up about four o'clock in the morning to get up and get ready because I have a, a 40 minute commute from my home to my distribution center, which is located in Pageland, South Carolina. So I get up at four o'clock in the morning, take care of my kitty before I leave and, you know, just do the, the last minute things and, you know, get myself together and then uh, commute to work. So I usually, and when I get to work, we at Walmart, we slip seat, which means at the end of my work week, I have to clean all of my personal belongings out of the truck. So on Saturday, I'll get there and, you know, I'll, I'll set up my truck because that's my home for the week. Mm -hmm. So I'll make my bed and put my coffee maker, you know, all the things that I need for myself during the week, which coffee is very important because, you know, getting up, you know, sometimes very early in the day, yeah. I got to have coffee. And then, you know, once I get my truck set up, then, you know, I usually drive the, the southeastern portion of the United States. So wherever Walmart sends me or, you know, however my route uh, leads me, you know, I could be in Tennessee, Florida, Alabama. So uh, I drive... 11 hours a day and I have 14 hours a day that I can complete my 11 hour driving time. So I drive 11 hours a day and I work 70 hours a week. Wow. So people think that, you know, I don't know if people really understand the time and uh, you know, the amount of hours that we work, but I do work a 70 hour work week and I drive 11 hours a day. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty grueling schedule, but I absolutely love what I do and I'm just very passionate about driving and, and uh, you know, just uh, supporting the, the community as the best as I can. So are you delivering to the stores or are you transferring between distribution centers or some of each of that? I'm curious. I predominantly deliver to the stores. Okay. I work out of a, a grocery distribution center. Okay. So I deliver a lot of the groceries, uh, you know, they're frozen, fresh, you know, meat, produce, things like that. So, uh, you know, we deliver to the stores okay. and I also deliver to Sam's clubs and then we will bring back, we will go to different suppliers and we will pick up product that we utilize. You know, we'll, we will pick up, uh, loads and, and product and bring it back to the distribution centers so that we can disperse it out to the stores. So that's a pretty common practice among people, um, among chains or distributors with their own, with their own fleet is to backhaul from the vendors back to the distribution center, right? And that is exactly what we call it, backhaul. So I'll deliver to my stores and then I'll get a backhaul to bring that back into uh, maybe a, a consolidation point where, you know, they, they divide it up and send it out to different distribution centers and, uh, you know, bring in loads directly to the Walmart distribution centers themselves. Just out of curiosity, you might leave, say, Nashville with a certain set of product on the truck, go to this consolidation center, wind up with a whole different set of product on the truck, and then go back to Carolina, right? Right. Or wherever they wherever they need that product located. So, yeah. And sometimes I'll, I'll have multiple stops where I'll just pick up partial loads of, of different uh, supplies that we need and, and, you know, take it to um, Sam's club or, you know, a Walmart distribution center. 
Very cool. Love it. Hey, supply chains would not move. They wouldn't happen without awesome people like April and so many other folks across the world that do what she does. And April, you're you're probably giving some folks a new parts, new new com, new components of their vocabulary based on what you do day in and day out. We love that here. All right, yeah. so Greg. So, and it's funny because having been in retail and distribution for a, a long time, I'm familiar with this backhaul, deadheading, bobtailing, those last <laughs> two being the things you want to avoid at all costs. Even April, even when I'm driving down the road on a family trip or whatever, whenever I see a semi down the road with no trailer behind it, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, that is just wasted money. So just to connect the dots there, because there, there might be some folks that may not know that term, but yep. that is bobtailing. Is that correct, April? Bobtailing is when it's just the tractor with no trailer. Yeah. That's right. what they call bobtail. Yeah. And then deadheading is the truck and trailer, but the trailer is empty. There's no freight in that trailer. So that's what they call deadhead. Yeah. Deadhead. That's what companies are trying to avoid big time, right? That is so costly because you still spend the fuel and the driver labor and all of that and all of the regulatory compliance and whatnot, but with absolutely no revenue or no value of goods in the trailer. So yep. really hurt. quick. I met someone not too long ago, the CEO of a, of a company that y'all know the, uh, the trailers they use to ship new cars on, right? Yeah. And there's a, there's a term for that. But um, after they drop off the cars, this company was like a marketplace for figuring out how, what else they could pick up non-vehicles on those same trailers. Very mm. fascinating to eliminate those empty miles. So um, love it. Here. April, there has to be a ton of other stuff. I think you've exposed and we've just talked about a few things that the average consumer or American or individual doesn't know about trucking. So what else can you share with our audience that is an interesting learning around what you do every day or about truck driving or transportation in general? Well, what I want to impress upon the community and people out there is for them to realize that you know, the importance of our industry, of the trucking industry, because without our industry, the trucking industry and truck drivers out there, life as they know it would not exist because they have to realize that everything that they touch in their daily day-to-day -day routine has been on a truck. Mm -hmm. From the time they get up to the time they go to bed, everything that they put their hands on has been delivered by a truck. So, you know, they just need to, to realize the importance of this industry and the sacrifice that the drivers make so that they can have all the things that make their life comfortable. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think also, and I'll confess this, they should not get irritated when climbing a hill and a truck swings out into the left-hand lane to pass a slower truck, which I confess I may have thrown a profanity <laughs> or two out there because I'm thinking I could have blown right by both of you. <laughs> But I understand. Yeah. So I, I have a buddy who drove trucks in Korea and he said, you are the biggest thing on the road. If you wait for an opening, you will never get it. So you have mm -hmm. to kind of create it. Right. So great. That's exactly it. Sometimes you just have to take it. And, you know, some, my loads can weigh in excess of 45,000. You know, I can pull about, you know, 46,000 pounds of freight, which makes my truck and trailer 80,000 pounds. Right. Wow. So, Get this vehicle, you know, up just even not not even the steepest incline. You know, it just takes some effort for that tra tractor. And so, if people will just 
be patient, slow down a little bit, you know, I'll get out of their way. It's not that I'm purposely trying to, you know, slow them down. It's that, you know, I have time constraints that, you know, they're imposed upon me to deliver this freight. And so I'm just doing the best that I can to provide product for people, you know, so when they go to these stores, you know, they have what they need. And inertia is an important thing. You take your foot off the throttle on something that weighs 80,000 pounds going uphill, you lose momentum really, really quick, right? Dramatically, yeah. dramatically. Okay. <laughs> I'll be much more zen about it in the future. Thank you, April. <laughs> So, um, well, and, you know, we're talking to the right person about learning about driving because you have been named a Walmart and a PepsiCo everyday hero, right? So tell us a little bit about that process. As you said, you protected your driving, uh, your driving career very carefully. And, and what does that recognition mean to the industry? And, and honestly, what does it mean to you? Well, from the very beginning, when I affiliated myself with the USA Truck, you know, like I have said previously, that my goal was always to be a Walmart driver. So I held myself to the highest caliber, you know, that I gave myself a ceiling standard for myself. And so in doing so, it opened the door when I drove for USA Truck. I was the inaugural member of the Arkansas road team out in Arkansas. Hmm. So... Uh, what we did there is, you know, we we promote the trucking industry and uh, something that we really focused on was to teach people out there how to safely navigate the highways when they're on the road with, with a, a, a semi truck and trailer, especially these young kids just getting out of driving school, you know, going to driving school and in high school, you know, the new drivers, you know, just getting out there on the road you know, just things to think about and the do's and the don'ts when they're out there so that they can be safe and get home safely. Yeah. And I can be safe and get home to my family. But, you know, with that being said, you know, it did open a lot of doors for me. And uh, three years ago, I was nominated for the America's Road Team with the American Trucking Association. So that was a very grueling process to make that team. But out of 3,600 candidates that was initially uh, proposed to make this team, they chose a panel of 18. So out of that 3,600, wow. I whittled my way down to be on the America's Road team, which is just was another goal that, that I set for myself. And then at that same time, the, the opportunity to drive for Walmart presented itself. That was just a blessing for me because... My dad suffered. I, I lost my mom about four years ago to stomach cancer. So, you know, she was my best friend and I talked to her every day. So it was really tough to lose my mom. And then shortly after we lost my mom, my dad was diagnosed with dementia. So being that I was able to be home two days a week, you know, that allowed me to look after him because because it was just me looking after the house, looking after my dad. So the opportunity to drive for Walmart was such a blessing because, you know, it was a lot for me to be gone five days a week and then come home and cook and clean and take care of him and get him all set up so I could go back out on the road. So over the years, he, he wasn't, he was a lot better back then, but as time went by, 
he really declined very quickly. And, you know, this last couple months, I had even decided that I was going to take a leave of absence to stay home and care for him because his uh, dementia declined to the point where he, he couldn't take care of himself at all. And, and uh, I'm sad to say that I did lose my dad. He did pass away on June 13th. So um, I'd like to think that he's up in heaven with my mom now looking down and uh, saying, at a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee um, it. Yes. I no, guarantee no doubt. that he is. What a huge uh, legacy he's left behind and, and you're doing big things and, and beyond helping your family, you're, you're leading the awareness that needs to take place uh, that represents your profession and, and by extension, global supply chain. And we all know the awareness gaps were closing during the pandemics. One, one of the silver linings here in the last 18 months, but sorry, very sorry for your father's loss. Um, but I think it, you know, one of the things you mentioned, cause you mentioned sacrifice, April, it's not just our drivers that are sacrificing. It's those families Right, and when those five days that you're out doing what you got to do, um, it's it's a tremendous sacrifice. Yeah. Which is all the more reason we've got to be more empathetic. Moving right along, I want to move to a different segment here. Right, as we all know, and we'll try to get to more comments here momentarily. But April, as we all know, organizations far and wide here in the states and everywhere else, they're struggling to not just attract drivers, but keep them, retain them, create a fulfilling position and career for them. Uh, so if you had the opportunity, and you, you have it right here, you know, given this platform, if you were speaking to those organizations that were struggling, what are some best practices or some general observations you'd offer in terms of advice? Well, Scott, we are experiencing a huge driver shortage in our industry. And it's been that way for as long as I've been involved in the trucking industry. So what I would encourage, and, and what is also going to be happening is because a lot of our drivers in the workforce now you know, they're getting to be at retirement level. So there's going to be a lot of our drivers that are going to be retiring out of our industry. So something that we've really been thinking about and wondering what to do is how we can get some of our young people, you know, our younger people to think about the truck driving industry or the trucking industry in general. Mm -hmm. And what I would encourage trucking companies to do to help retain their workforce is, you know, treat their driver you know, like a person, not just a truck number or, you know, a driver number, you know, make that, you know, driver feel like they're valued, that they're, you know, appreciated. And I think, you know, in all of my years, the number one reason that I see drivers leave a company is that they can never get them home on time. So their home time is just very important because we sacrifice a lot to be out here on the road. You know, we're, we're away from our families, our friends, you know, our life is subjected to being in that truck out on the highway for, you know, however long of a time that people choose to stay out. When I was at USA truck, I stayed out probably two and a half, three months at a time. So I only came home two or three times a year. Wow. But times, you know, just getting a driver home and respecting their home time, I think would be just, just basic square one to, you know, let that driver, you know, have their home time and to know that they can, you know, count on, you know, setting up time with family and friends and doing things. So I think, you know, respecting a driver's request for home time would be, I think, just probably number one in importance for to a driver. I love wow. that. That sounds so basic. It's a little surprising that that's the number one thing that comes to your mind. I would think that that would be would be part of it. 
yeah. I talked to a lot of drivers and, you know, I'll ask, well, why did you leave your company? And they said, well, because they could never get me home on time. I put in my home time request, you know, well in advance and they just never could meet their commitment to get me home. So, you know, that's the number one thing that I hear from drivers, you know, when they leave a company is, you know, that their home time that they yeah. couldn't get them home. Yeah. Mm. Follow up question, April, for you. We, we, we talk a lot about the kind of the, the TX, the trucker experience in this era of all these different <laughs> like experiences. That. Yeah. And, you know, there's all kinds of what I, what I like, some of the awareness that social media has created to help fill in the gaps of the awareness. And um, we, we've seen a variety of different stories and whatnot. You know, when you, when you arrive at a facility here in recent years, has it gotten better in terms of, of uh, how they're treating truckers? Is it about the same? Has it gotten worse? What, what's your observations there? I think that it's getting better. They're, they're respecting us and, and they know that they that we play an important part in, you know, moving their goods and their products, you know, from their facility to, uh, you know, the, the retailers and things that, that are needing those. But a challenge that we had, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, with the COVID, you know, it was just really tough at these different facilities. And, and I'm not talking about Walmart. I'm just talking about shippers and receivers because, you know, you couldn't go into their warehouses. Mm-hmm. You couldn't use their restrooms. So, you know, it was very strict as far as being able to access these different places. And, you know, over and above that, you know, just being able to get a meal out on the road was just very tough. So, you know, we just all had to work together to to, to overcome this pandemic. And But April, is there anything else that um, you think would be really helpful for folks to just know about the trucking profession, the industry, or, or your experiences? Well, like I said earlier, I just, you know, would like to impress and just let people realize that without our industry, they just won't, wouldn't have the goods, you know, food, clothing, you know, anything that they have in their day-to-day life, you know, is dependent upon our industry. So I just would like to impress upon, you know, the importance of the trucking industry as a whole, right. you know, and the drivers, you know, to get this product, you know, to the shelves for the people, because just, you know, trucks are the most flexible mode of transportation because you can't fly an airplane into, a, into a distribution center. You know, we don't have rail tra- railroads, you know, that go to this. So, you know, that freight that comes into these different modes, you know, ships, planes, trains is transported by a truck. Yep. So just to know the importance of, of what we do and, and the sacrifices that we make, you know, so that people can, you know, enjoy their lives and have the things that they need. Mm. Well said that that's the, um, that's the biggest uh, point made, I think in today's conversation, you know, so uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, sharing that message. I got to ask you, this is going to be a stupid question, but it just dawned All on right. me. It, it's about uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a kid, I loved, you know, getting truck drivers to, to lay on their air horn as we're driving, as my, my parents were driving down the road and I was in the back. I'm not sure if I've taught that to my kids. I'm, I'm probably a bad dad because I hadn't. Does that still happen? You still see kids that, that ask you for some of the air horn? I do. And to be honest with you, that just lights up my day. That just thrills me when, when I have a young kid that in the back and, and does the little air pump because, you know, I'll give them a little fancy, you know, pull of, of my horn, but that's just, you know, I, I really love to see that. And, and, you know, not only, not only do I love to see that when little kids do that, but, you know, a lot of times when I'm on the highway, I'll have, uh, 
people that'll lean over in their truck and they'll give me the thumbs up, you know, because I'm out here on the road and, and I don't know if, if that's just because I'm a trucker out here or I'm a woman driving that truck out here on the road. I think it might be a little combination. Probably of both. both. I mean, it's, you're a rare sight on the roadway. I, right. And, um, I think people really appreciate that. You know, they appreciate what you're doing, that you're kind of breaking barriers to do it. I have to, I have to amend Scott's question. How does it make you feel when an adult does it? Because sometimes I do that. So <laughs> is it not as fun as when a kid does it? Because I, I still, <laughs> I still do it. I love it. You know, another thing I learned as a kid was, you know, the light flashing thing when, when you're passing or when they're passing, right? Um, just so our audience knows when you pass a semi, you should always flash your lights before you go out around them. And you should always flash your taillights, which takes one hand off the wheel, admittedly, but flash your taillights and they'll let you know that you are clear of them in the front. So it's safe for you to get it back over into their lane. So do you still see uh, everyday drivers? Not I know your fellow drivers do that pretty religiously, but do you still see just regular uh, automobiles do that? On occasion, I will. And just yesterday I did have uh, it was a. an SUV, you know, and he, you know, gave me the flash, the lights, just let me know it was safe to come back over yep. and he passed me and I let him and he flashed his brake lights to thank me for, for letting him back over. So I do on occasion see uh, passenger cars do that. And I just know that it's somebody who drives a truck or has a family member in the trucking industry. Otherwise, you know, people really don't know what that means, but um, you know, that is how, because, you know, our trucks are very long. Mm-hmm. So you have to have, you know, that peripheral vision to know that back there behind that 53 foot trailer, you have enough room, you know, to, to navigate back over in, into the lane after you pass a vehicle. So that's what we as drivers, you know, will do for each other is we'll flash our lights to let them know that, you know, they're, they're clear and it's safe for them to come back over in, into the, into the uh, right lane, into the driving lane. Yeah. And I think that sign that's on so many trailers, if you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. I I hope people are reading that and recognizing that. And even so, I think even when you're beside a truck that you've only got that one little convex mirror that helps you see a vehicle that's that's about seven feet below the level you're driving at. Right. Right. And and somewhere behind you. So it's hard to gate. I mean, I've, I've sat in cabs and and tried to gauge it sitting still. And it's really hard to gauge exactly where that vehicle is. Yep. It is. And you know, that's one, that's probably the thing that excites me the most about being affiliated, you know, first with the Arkansas road team and now with the America's road team, because we have a program that's called share the road. And so what we do is we go to these high schools and we take our truck and trailer and we take cars and we'll put them in our blind spots. And we talk about these different things about being safe. And, you know, that's ex- what you just said, Greg, about if you can't see the driver's face in that mirror, then we can't see you. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that because we're so big and we sit up so high and we have, you know, our big windows, that that gives us an opportunity to see so much going around, you know, happening around us. But that is that couldn't be farther from the truth, because the thing that I enjoy the most when I go do these share the road things is we'll put cars in our blind spots and there'll be a car right out my driver's side window that, you know, I could look right. down and be right there. But to have these 
teachers and, and young people get up in the cab of this truck because the only mirror that is required by the DOT is the long rectangular mirror that we have. Right. That's the only mirror that is required by the Department of Transportation to have on these trucks. Right. So we'll cover up all of our other mirrors and we'll ask these people when they get up on our truck, can you see that car that's just sitting right there next to us? And they're just amazed that they can't see that. Yeah. And so, you know, that is the thing that I really enjoy the most about being involved, you know, with the America's Road team is that the opportunity that I have to go out and teach the community about different things that they need to know about a tractor trailer and what they can do to be safe out on the highway to navigate around us because there's a lot of trucks out there on the highway. So if they know what it takes for us to be safe out on the highway, that's mm-hmm. just going to make them safer and our highway safer. If you could touch on one final thing and then we'll, we'll start to wrap here. You know, I know that here in the Atlanta area, the powers that be have been for the last couple of years uh, conducting a study to help alleviate some of the parking issues that, that truck drivers have when, when navigating through uh, the metro Atlanta area, uh, just how hard it's been, it is to find a nice, safe, well-lit place. And the, between the state and the local authorities, they're trying to figure out how they can help provide solutions, especially given all the traffic that comes through here. Speak to, you know, parking in general. I mean, how, how challenging is that uh, when you're trying to get a little bit of rest, you know, get a bite to eat, you know, speak to that a bit, if you would. That is very challenging for us drivers out here on the road. And that's been something that, you know, I've, thought about from the very beginning of getting involved in, in the trucking industry, because, you know, that's our home when we're out here on the road. So we need to find a safe place to park and to be able to go in and get a meal and to take a shower. So we are at a a big disadvantage because, you know, we're at a shortage now with trucks. So just think what it would be like if we did hit the capacity that we need in the industry, what kind of, impact that would make on the parking situation and i think you know there's only so much land out there to acquire to put these you know truck stops in in different places available to us but you know that is a huge challenge and that's why you'll see a lot of drivers you know when they shut down and i see it a lot you know through the atlanta area because it's really tough there's there's not a lot of places to park in the atlanta area and you know the truck stops you know, it might be questionable as far as how safe are those areas. You know, they don't have a lot of security, you know, a lot of times that patrols the parking lot. So, you know, that's why you'll see a lot of drivers, you know, they'll be parking on the shoulders of the road and the on and off ramps because mm-hmm. it's so limited on, you know, availability of us to find a place to park. And, you know, drivers are finding that they're get, they have to shut down earlier in the day to even be able to find a parking right. space because if you drive, you know, say, you know, past five o'clock, you know, in the afternoon, your chances of finding a parking spot at a truck stop are few or even non-existent wow. at that time. Yeah. I think a couple of years ago, according to research here, putting in, I think that the truck drivers they were surveying, were talking hundreds, if not thousands, 90 minutes a day on average is, is the time that it took them to find uh, suitable parking. Um, so, so folks, if you're, whether you're overseas or whether you're here in the States uh, and maybe your uh, local authority isn't as savvy um, as the folks in Atlanta trying to uh, proactively or, or reactively, what most importantly to trying to address these challenges. Hey, uh, another awareness opportunity here. We got to, we got to take care of our truck driving professionals in April. Huge thanks for you, what, you know, 
what you've shared here today. So go ahead, Greg. I have one more question I have to ask. Okay. <laughs> I have to ask this. You drive all over the Southeast, right? You've already addressed some of the parking issues. We've talked a little bit about your fellow drivers who you share the roadway with. Who would you identify as the worst community or state or whatever drivers that you face on a day-to-day basis? Well, Greg, I hate to uh, pinpoint, you know, a city or, or an area, but if I had to give you an honest answer, I would have to say of all the places that I traveled, and I've traveled all over the United States. Right. I know with part, I only travel in the southeastern part of the country now, but I've traveled the whole United States, and by far... <laughs> Hands down, no competition. The worst drivers that I have ever experienced is in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so I feel so vindicated for you to say that. Well, Who are and these you know people. <clears throat> they love us. They really love us. But Greg, I would say April is right. April is, is right. Unquestionably you look at volume. Right. I mean, if yeah, you're not going so, 80 miles an hour in Atlanta, you're going to get run over. And that's right. And it, and if you don't get run over, there are alternative punishments because of where we are. <laughs> so, I mean, it is. Un, I, I've I've driven all over the country as well, not a semi, but I mean, places like Chicago and New York and Los Angeles, which are the ones even still I would have expected to come towards the top of your list, but unquestionably Atlanta is a, you know, is that's a indictment, damning indictment of, of our driving culture. And, you know, I think another challenge that Atlanta has is because there's so many roadways that come into that city. Yes. And it's just kind of like a hub or a central location, you know, to get on 85, 20, right. 75. And, and so, you know, there's so much traffic and so many bottlenecks to get around to that city. I've easily taken two hours or more just yeah. to get from 85 coming into Atlanta to 85 coming out of Atlanta. So it's just unbelievable the amount of people, the amount of traffic that's in Atlanta. But something that I see so much in that city, and I and I can't for the life of me understand how and why they do it, because not in a million years would I ever even think about, is they'll stay in the hammer lane and they'll cruise that fast lane and then their exit will come up. And so they make a four line. lanes of traffic all at once. <laughs> four lanes of traffic just to get over there. And and it's just, oh, I just cringe when I see that because what a dangerous situation that they're putting themselves yeah. in. Yeah. So we gotta love on our truck drivers, respect them when they're out there on the roads. Make sure you're 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 pulling for the air horn, especially if you drive past or drive by uh, April. And be aware, be aware of, of the sacrifices they're making, be aware of uh, some of the issues and challenges they face, uh, but also most importantly, perhaps be aware that they are the backbone of global supply chain. So if, if the truckers, you know, truck fleets came to a halt, everything else would come to a halt. So April really appreciate and admire what you do. Big thanks. How can folks connect with you, April? They can connect with me. I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. So they can just type in my name, April Coolidge. And I do have a Twitter account and I'm not that first. I drive a truck, so I'm not, you know, I've stepped away from the tech after getting out of real estate. I've really tech, stepped away from the technology end. So I don't know how, how they can go search for me on Twitter, but I have, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and I do get an email 
that if somebody sends me a message or a friend's request or something on Facebook, you know, it will certainly come to me because, you know, I work so much that uh, I don't always have time to, to look at those different things. Cause at the end of my day, when I'm done driving my 11, working my 14 hours, I go to bed. So, but if they do want to connect with me, I do. I am on Facebook, April Coolidge, and I am on Twitter, April Coolidge. Well, you are an absolute delight to interview and rub elbows with. There's a, there's a passion about what you do and yep. an enthusiasm uh, that is just contagious. So huge. Thanks. April Coolidge, an award-winning truck driver, recently named Walmart and PepsiCo Everyday Hero. Thanks so much, April. Thank you, April. Thank you. you. Folks, most importantly, you heard a bunch of good stuff from April here today. I appreciate Greg's key takeaways. Hey, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. Be just like April Coolidge. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.